Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Been banging around in this great big city. Fast money and the life will never show you no pity. Oh, I work hard trying to make my bones. But times have changed and I just got to move. Can't run away, can't run away, can't run. Welcome to Writer's Tricks of the Trade. I'm Morgan St. James, and for the next 30 minutes, tonight's co-host Eric Miller and I will be chatting with editor Cindy Davis. And by the way, Cindy's offering a free copy of her editing self-help book, You Have the Power, Self-Edit Your Way Into Print. So if you're one of the first three callers, the book is yours. Okay, Eric. Okay, well, let's just uh, jump right into tonight's topic. Um, as president of the Writers of Southern Nevada, a local nonprofit here in Southern Nevada of uh, writers, um, I can tell you that uh, if you want to be a professional writer, astute editing is really a must. And um, another issue, if you are listening, call in for a chance to get Cindy's book, um, let me give you the number. The call-in number is 646-478-0982 if you want to ask a question. Yeah, that's great, Eric. And, you know, Cindy's actually edited some of my own books, including the first edition of the upcoming Silver Sister Mystery, Vanishing Act in Vegas. And for you listeners, if you haven't worked with an editor before, you can learn a lot from Cindy tonight. And by the way, if you have worked with an editor, you'll still learn a lot from Cindy tonight. <laughs> That's right. Cindy, I understand you're, the, you're known as the fiction doctor and have been uh, freelance editing since 1998. Is that right? Yeah, that's my full-time job. Oh, that's great. And you live in New England, but thanks to our cyber society, you've worked with clients all over the world and tonight we'll, we're going to talk about editing your way to publication. So if your aspiration is to be published traditionally, no editor can guarantee your book is going to get picked up, but the odds are drastically improved when, with a well-edited manuscript. Um, and if you're self-published, it is essential, and there are many things you can do to help yourself. Isn't that right? I definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Cindy... What can an author do before submitting their manuscript for editing? I mean, what editor wants to have a total mess dumped in their lap from an author expecting miracles? <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more often than not. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for them. Um, authors come to me for two reasons. Usually the first one is they're frustrated because they keep getting rejected from publishers. 
you know, they sit down and read it, and they feel that it looks really good to them, but um, they're still getting bad reviews, especially um, sometimes if they're self-published. Second reason is that they they know something's not right, but they just can't put their finger on what it is. Um, I think they need to show, someone to show them the right way to go, and my family calls me uh, GPS, that I aim <laughs> people toward the right justi- destination. So in both cases, I act like a regular publisher, and I request a few chapters in the synopsis, and then even if the authors are planning to self-publish, I still like them to throw away kind of a, throw apart uh, together a, a synopsis, even if it's just a rough one with halfway sentences. That way I can get an idea if they can tell a story and how it flows. And uh, as you can probably understand, I don't have time to fully read every manuscript, so I can't tell for myself. Oh, I bet. Um, but because there's lots of op- lots of authors that operate on a shoestring, if an author can't afford an editor, are there steps that they can take to ensure that their manuscript they submit, or or even if they publish it themselves, is is their best effort? There's things they should do regardless of whether they can afford it or not. Um, one of the best ways is to join an established writers group. Every group, um, there was an article in Writer's Digest recently about writer's group, and a lot of them, they describe different ways than they work, but in the end, they're all still invaluable in pointing out deficits in your writing, which is kind of what we go for, even though we want to hear about all the good points, too. And they do they tend to, you know, bolster the author's inspiration. They tell stories about their own experience in good and bad ways. The Internet's really good because you don't have to get out of your house to go to one of these groups, but, you know, it really is best if you can do the one-on-one experience. I always talk to the writers at the groups, and I run home really excited to start writing, but usually it's like 10 o'clock at night by the time I get there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We have three groups in um, Las Vegas that are the major groups here. Um, We have um, Las Vegas Writers Group that has a lot of how-to presentations. And then we have Henderson Writers Group that's pretty well uh, seated in doing critiques. And then, of course, we have Writers of Southern Nevada, which uh, Eric happens to be president of, and Writers of Southern Nevada kind of fits right in between where they're acting as a liaison to bring events and to bring um, more recognition for the writers in the area. So, yeah, you're right, Cindy. You know, there are lots of different kinds. And um, we're talking about editing. And, you know, and you mentioned some people talk about their own experiences. Well, I discovered they're good editors, and then there are what I call pretend editors. <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I can't think of any other way to describe them. Here's an example. Early in my career, I paid one of those, and I got a manuscript back that was just filled with errors. It was unbelievable. A kindergarten kid could have found them. And when I complained and I said I identified at least a whole sticky pad full of simple errors that should have been caught in the edit, you know what she said? She told me she farmed it out. And, oh, if I was upset, she'd do another book free for herself. What a sweetheart. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you know what happened? When I tried to take advantage of that, she'd gone out of business. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So when 
uh, an author is looking for an editor, what are some of the red flags, some of the things that they should look out for, and some of the things that they should ask to make sure that they don't get roped in by one of these pretend editors who has nothing more on their agenda but to relieve them of their money? I think one of the biggest things to watch out as an editor who comes off kind of like a salesman and boasts about all the things they're going to do for you. Um, I always tell people, I even tell my own people that come to me, challenge me to prove what I can do for you. Ask me for a sample edit. Actually, most of the time I'll offer one. Um, Even if you're not sure what's wrong with your story, a sample edit should make you sit back and say, whoa, maybe that's what the problem is. and most editors, like we do in publishing, um, use word tracking you know, with the editing feature in the word program, and it's pretty simple to learn. So when we make the comments and suggestions on the document, it's pretty easy for them to follow. Um, an editor should tell you all the strengths of your story, you know, and not just say, oh, I really liked it. Um, but they should also tell you the things that don't work, because even though you like your ego stroked, the... The things that don't work are what's getting you not published, and that's important. But the thing is to try to develop a relationship with the, with your editor. If if what I say to you doesn't resonate, and don't, you don't get this feeling for what I'm saying or a connection to me as a person, just, you know, what I really want you to do is sit back and say, oh, man, so that's what I've been doing wrong. If that doesn't happen, then move on. There's dozens of editors that you can find. I always tell potential clients that if you don't feel a connection with me, just come out and say so. I get a pretty thick hide. I've gone through all the rejections that they've gone through. (laughs) Haven't we all? (laughs) I know, really. You're not going to hurt my feelings by saying, you know, please, I'd like to try with somebody else. And, And if you do hire me and you're not really sure, you're not really happy, you know, in the end, neither of us is going to be happy because you won't get what I'm trying to tell you. Um, I got a list of fellow editors, reputable people to whom I can refer people, and uh, it's my job. You know, I'm here to make money, but yeah, I really want your baby to be published. I've, you know, I'm, I've been there. Um, if I'm not the one that can do it, maybe somebody, I can find somebody who is. I want to hook you up, like a, like a drug dealer. I want to hook you up. <laughs> You'll be the connection. Exactly. <laughs> well, Cindy, is one way to sort of um, sort of test your editor, like you say, uh, suggesting that you get a sample edit back from them on a uh, on like a couple sample pages? I think is a great idea. But what about like installment payments? Do you think that that's a good way to sort of monitor? You know, instead of you're paying all your money up front to to somebody that you're work out an installment plan so your happiness quotient equals your spending. <laughs> yeah, you do want, you know, well, you know, money's tight for everybody these days, and you do want people to be happy. What my most of my clients will do is pay half up front and fa- half when I'm finished. That way we both feel secure that we've got some money in our hands. But, yeah, I do installment payments too. If that's the way, you know, somebody needs to work it, I'm good to go. That seems like a good way to sort of test out an editor because beginning authors in particular tend to make lots of different mistakes. Um, in your experience, just just could you just rattle off a couple of the most common ones? 
That could be the whole conversation tonight. (laughs) (laughs) One of the biggest things I see is um, writers trying to put in too much backstory. Um, They think we need to know all about what's going on with the characters and how the situation unfolded in order to get to their main um, plot line. Um, And one of the things I like to do is show them how that isn't important. What's really important is how the the story comes about. And the backstory is only what affects the characters, what shapes them into who they are. Uh, So I like to encourage you to show the bits of backstory and little bits of flashbacks or even um, dialogue. Uh, one famous uh, editor, um, I'm sure everybody's heard of Donald Moss. I oh, took yeah. One of his, I took one of his workshops <laughs> once, and he said, if any of you have any backstory whatsoever in the first 100 pages, I want you to take it out and paste it in on page 101. <laughs> he said, and then write the story, and if you get to page 101 and feel like you still need that backstory, then you can put some in right there, but be careful with it. But I always go by that because you don't need the backstory so much. And then another thing I see a lot of is lack of originality. I know the big adage all through the years is write what you know. Well, stop doing that. <laughs> I, I get tons and tons of stories um, that are featuring teachers and um, mostly writers, you know, writers all over the place as main characters. Um, And I don't even know how many start their stories set in some kind of an eating establishment, coffee shop, restaurant, cafe, or whatever. That's boring. You know why? Because nothing happens during those scenes. I mean, unless a bomb goes off under your table. (laughs) (laughs) And then you got a duck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I never had a character as a duck. <laughs> All right, no, never mind. <laughs> I, I try to tell people, though, wouldn't it be a lot more unique if your characters met jogging in a park or trying to climb into a cab at the same time, or maybe they crash into each other on a ski slope? Just something to get them out of the ordinary. Uh, I think too many romances begin with the hero and heroine being left at an altar. Uh, you know, that does shape them as people, but it doesn't, that's not your story. Your story is when they get together with other people. You know, it's what happens after that. Yeah. Um, you know, going back, looking back when I first started writing, um, one of my big stumbling blocks was point of view. And, you know, it's really interesting. Even though you know stuff, you still tend to slide. Because now, even though I actually give point-of-view workshops, occasionally I still catch myself messing up. <laughs> so, <laughs> And that's happened recently. <laughs> it's, it's really happened very recently. And I've been giving workshops on point-of-view for five years now. Shame on me. Not really. <laughs> but... <laughs> I know that's one of the things an editor zeroes in on. And do you have, like, maybe a couple of pearls of wisdom on ways a person can check themselves so that they're not doing all these POV violations? Well, the biggest thing is to decide what you want for point of view before you start writing the story. Determine Mm -hmm. who's going to tell your story. But the easiest way to get into the point of view is to pretend you're actually inside that character. 
um, you know, pretend you've taken over their body and show it as it's happening through that person's eyes. Uh, well, not just their eyes, but through all their senses. <laughs> Uh, you know, that way the reader can identify with a particular sound or smell and they can connect, connect with the reader that way and maybe feel better better immersed in the story. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. An- another thing is to remember when you're telling someone's point of view, if you are imagining being in their body, remember that the, pers- that the person they're talking to or talking about can't smell, can't notice, you know, have have any kind of flashback or anything like that. They've really got to be careful that they just stay in the person's sole point of view, as opposed to that. That's what that's what drives editors crazy is is when you have different people speaking in first person, telling each other about how they feel. You're you know right, Eric. I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. Or you have the head. You, you have the head jumping where one character yeah. Yeah. knows what the other person is thinking. And, you know, I think you'll agree, Cindy, that one of the best ways to do that is through maybe a physical motion or something like that, where the one person says the beads of sweat on so-and-so's forehead indicated that they were really nervous. Exactly. You know, instead of saying so-and-so, I knew so-and-so was nervous or whatever. Yeah, right. that's a really good point. Yeah, observational observational um, notes are kind of telling of the character. It's like if someone's aware, astute enough to realize that the person they're talking to is sweating, they perfectly can interpret that their own way, but they can't know why the other person is sweating. So, no, but when they notice that, it develops the character, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's the beauty of, of staying in that sensory world, what we can see, touch, and smell. So then there's the syntax and, and structure of the sentence, which is also very important because it can affect the meaning of what the person is saying and also the pacing of how the story is told. If you've got long-winded James Joyce sentences that are you know, 20 and 30 words long versus kind of a more succinct, you know, Stephen King writer who speaks most of his sentences under under 10 words. Um, <laughs> how, how can authors check themselves when doing their read-throughs as they prepare their manuscript to, to go to their editor or publisher? I think that's one of the hardest things for the, an author because they tend to write the way they speak. And if they're used to speaking with bad syntax or slang or whatever, they're going to let their characters do it, and it's going to show up clearly in the story. Um, And that might be one of the reasons they keep getting rejected. Um, And, of course, most publishers don't give an explanation, which makes them even more confused. And that's one reason that, one way that a writer's group can really help out because your fellow critiquers can say, hey, this is not working and this is why. And then, of course, you know, if you get the sample edit or manuscript assessment, that can work the same way. Um, <laughs> just last week I had an author, most of his sentences were compound sentences, and he'd been rejected by like 20 different publishers, and he had no clue what was going on. So I did a simple two-page edit for him, and uh, he, he, you know, called me up and he said, "Oh, Mary, I get it now. I get it now. The second half is passive." 
<laughs> yeah, that, I, I, I get what you're saying. You know, one other thing, just hopping back to syntax for a minute, um, sometimes when an action is put in, in the wrong place in a sentence, it changes the whole meaning of it, too. Like, you know, maybe a, a person was running down the street and something with their pants, and then they put the running down the street at the end, and it looks like the pants are running down the street. <laughs> so, you know, I know that that's something people have to really be careful of. I, I just have finished reading a book where it was basically a good book, but the author did this several times where inanimate objects were taking on actions because of the syntax of the sentence. In our writing so, group, we call that a bagel because one of, our yeah. author, one of our authors had a bagel jumping out of the toaster and running up the stairs. So. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, one of like my other movie. favorites was that? I said it sounds like a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say, one of my other favorites is these run-on sentences that go on forever. And I'm sure you get manuscripts with sentences that just wax eternal, and they keep going and going and going. Sometimes a whole page is one sentence. And do you have some suggestions in that regard? Yeah, tell them to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, these days I find more two-sentence paragraphs than anything else. Yeah. where the author's just kind of in a hurry or something, and they jump on to the next, um, next paragraph. But I think the answer is the same as above. If you get into a writer's group or get a sample edit or a manuscript ass assessment, you know, the editor's going to point that out to you, and I think it'll be a lot easier for you to see. Um, mm -hmm. Another night, uh, we were talking about writer's group, and another note that I forgot to mention is to make sure that it, a group that you join contains at least one writer that's better than you, has been published, or is more seasoned or whatever, um, because they can, they'll be the ones that will teach. You know, if you get a whole group of beginners, they're going to flounder just like um, you personally are at that time. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a good point. What about voice? Um Let's. Why don't you uh, explain what the effect of writing in the wrong voice can have? And for novice writers, just give us a brief description of, of what voice actually is. Well, the way I look at it, voice is the way you tell the story. It's the way your character narrates the the story through you know through his eyes. If you're inside of that character, you'll be able to do it a lot easier if you know your person. Um, uh, the personality of the character should shine through um, in the narrative and in the dialogue both. Um, you'll feel as if you're inside his body. It's it's like if you've ever been told, <laughs> I've had this happen, that's why I made this note. If you've <laughs> ever been told the story sounds like you wrote this, then you aren't in the right voice. <laughs> it means you're not inside your character. I've attended a bunch of writers' conferences. Actually, there was one where there were nine agents and publishers sitting up at the front of the room, and all nine of them at the same time um, said that the biggest thing they look for in a new um, author that they pick up is the voice. Okay, so it, it really is high, important. I think it's so a high percentage. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to a little bit of the nuts and bolts. So with all the types of edits and price ranges, um, maybe a quick 
comment about the difference between content edit and copy edit and line edit, because that seems to be one of those areas that's really confusing. Right. So how does an author determine what they need and how much they should pay? Well, if the manuscript is complete, you've had your writer's group look it over, and you think it's pretty much ready to go, there's a good chance you might just need a copy edit, a line edit, or a proofread, which are all pretty similar things. Um, let's see. And that's um, Okay, the proofread is pretty much where your editor will look at it, and they'll fix the spelling and the punctuation and the typos. And that's usually, in that case, that's all you need. Of course, me, with the little editor being inside of me, not, not being chained up all the time, um, if, I, if I see technical problems that are going on, even if I'm only hired to do the proofread, I'll sometimes make extra comments. Um, and then I'll just uh, sample edit. If that determines that you're going to need something more substantial, like a content edit or what I call a substantive edit, um, there's two pricing options I can give the author. Um, the first one would be like in the form of a manuscript assessment, and I would read the whole manuscript and make extensive notes about, oh, maybe the characters are flat or the plot just has big holes in it over here and you need to refill, um, you know, this clue doesn't work out properly. Um, and, that, that, you know, that is, has a base price that you go by per page. Um, and then... When the author gets those comments, they're left to make the changes by themselves. Um, pricing on an assessment, I think I said that is per, on a per-page basis. And a lot of the times after the author has made those changes, they'll come back and they'll want me to do a copy edit just to make sure they got it all right. And then the second option is the big deal, you know, the big edit where I, where I would do the same kind of things I would do for a publishing house using the word tracking, you know, you go through and you make the suggestions, the corrections, and the comments, and then you have a side page of, you know, extra notes. Um, and what I do during that is I'll make two passes, which is essentially two full edits for the author. Um, of course, you can understand how this would be the most expensive service because it takes quite a lot of work and probably several weeks in the all the way around. Um I kind of offer a couple of extra things when I'm working. I will help with the synopsis and the query letter. And then sometimes you get the authors that are just doing self-publishing. Um, so I'll help them with the cover blurb. And sometimes they have a little tagline that goes on the cover, so I'll help them with that. Well, that was the short That was the short line that you asked me for. <laughs> right. We'd need an hour for the long one. Exactly. <laughs> When you uh, when you receive a clean manuscript, though, Cindy, does that affect the price that you quote? Well, if I receive a clean manuscript, I will usually just suggest they do an assessment or a copy edit. You know, I never would suggest someone do a full edit, but yeah, it does take um, take affect the price because it takes less time to do the job. It's just like if you go in to work for somebody. And something they ask you to do only takes two hours instead of four. Um, I have a number of authors I've worked with all 16 years. I've been freelancing, and I love the way they've grown and developed through the years. Um, you know, sometimes they'll call me and they'll say, oh, my book just sold 30,000 copies, and I feel so good because I started them out there. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> you've got to be proud of them. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> 
I want to stress, though, that my authors, that any author shouldn't select an editor based on price. I have so many people that call me up and say, how much would it cost for an 80,000-word manuscript? I know money's important. It, you know, it's important to all of us, but you've got to have that relationship built up with your editor. You know, you've got to be able to relate to each other and understand what each other is trying to say. Um, especially if they're planning another book, you know, I need to show them so they can make their work better. They don't have to keep coming and paying the big prices to me every time. Well, that's great. You know, I think you've really given the listeners a lot of good information, and now there's one more piece of information you can give them, and that's where they can contact you or check out the books you've actually written. Well, I'll give you my two websites. Um, uh, www.cdavisnh.com. That's all my regular books, all my printed titles. And then my Fiction Doctor website, where I do all my heavy lifting, is www.fiction-doctor.com. Fiction-doctor. Yeah, you have to get that correct now. You're the editor. Well, I think if you just plug in (laughs) Fiction Doctor, it'll come up right. Okay, and people can find your credentials and testimonials and sample edit and all kinds of things on that website, right? Oh, it's loaded with fun information and and, and links and all that stuff. If they have any questions, there's a link right there. They can get hold of me, unfortunately, six days a week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're approaching the end of our time, and uh, I'd like to tell the listeners that you can find out more about me at www.morgansaintjames, that's S-T-J-A-M-E-S, hyphen, author.com. And also you can visit writerstricksofthetrade.blogspot.com. All of my books are on Amazon and most online bookstores. And Eric, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and your book or learn more about Writers of Southern Nevada? Okay. Well, my uh, I'm still holding on to my old website, BennisDude.com. I I got when I was working in the film business back in the day. Um, some people uh, I, I lived in Venice Beach, and and there became a synergy between me and the Big Lebowski, and uh, <laughs> so people started calling me Venice Dude, and it kind of stuck. So I still I still do most of my stuff through BennisDude.com, um, and writers of Southern Nevada. The URL for that is actually nevadawriters.org. And like I said, we're a membership-based organization. We are putting together a speakers bureau. We have this new series that we started called Painted Stories, which um, brings an, an artist in who paints pictures while, art, while readers read like 10-minute excerpts from their work. So the writers are literally inspiring an artist to paint. And uh, we're also do, are putting together our first writer's retreat this year. So writers of Southern Nevada, nevadawriters.org is the place you want to go for that kind of stuff. Mm, that's pretty neat. Oh, yeah, maybe I, um, um, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just going to mention that I'm going to be on a panel and uh, doing a workshop at the Las Vegas Writers Con- Conference coming up in April. Oh, good. Right, right. right. 
Yeah, after the books you've worked on for me, that'll be my chance to meet you in person. We need to do coffee. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've I've got one comment for um, Eric, too, before we sign off, and that's um, you lived in Venice Beach. We might have even been neighbors at the time because I lived in Marina del Rey, which is right on the other side of Washington Boulevard. No, I know. I had a couple clients in Marina del Rey, so I used to, uh, and I biked down there all the time, too, and I sailed. I did a lot of sailing, so I was in I was in Marina del Rey a good bit. Yeah, I lived on um, one of the channels first, and um, then after that I lived in the big high-rise there. Of course, now they've got a lot of high-rises, but when I lived there, there was only one. But anyway, yeah. since our time is up, I'm going to thank everyone for listening. I'm going to thank Cindy for being our wonderful guest. And until the next time, God bless and everyone stay safe. Our next show is on March 28th when Dara Whitaker, who's the author of his just-released funny book, My Life is a Sperm, and it is funny, I've read it, uh, and conference coordinator, and he's also the conference coordinator for the Las Vegas Writers Conference. So, Cindy, you'll sure be. Is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's going to be our guest, and he's going to talk about from concept to publication. So that's it, folks. Like they say in the cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good hey, talking to everybody. Yeah, it was it was fun and informative. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks very much. Okay. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. (laughs) With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.